All right. G'day. I'm home. Back in uh, back in sunny Australia. I got sunny while I was away. I mean, it's always kind of sunny, right? I know it's a, a relative term, but we did hit spring <laughs> while I was away, so uh, that's kind of nice. It's um, I only learned very recently after marrying a European that apparently you don't do seasons the same way everywhere in the world. Here's how we do it in Australia. It's really, really simple. You divide the year into four parts, yeah, 12 months, uh, four seasons, three months each. Each one starts on the first of the month and finishes on, what, the 30, 31st month. So our spring in Australia always starts on the 1st of September, and then our summer always starts on the 1st of November, and so on and so forth. Uh, now, that's different to the summer solstice thing, which they do in Europe. So anyway, it is spring, and it's hot. It's warm. We're at, what are we now? 22 degrees already, 8.20 in the morning. Yesterday, I was super warm. I've got a glow about me after being outside yesterday, which was nice. Nice to come home from Europe. Look like that. Now, today I've made super casual because my time has just completely disappeared since I did this last. So I did the last video from Prague and we flew home and it's a long flight. Like I, I think people understand that it's a long flight from, well, from Australia to basically anywhere, but from Europe to Australia. But it's a long easterly flight as well. There's just something about going east, which is always worse. And I think there's two main reasons for that, that I have understood from doing the easterly flight and the westerly flight many, many times. Part of it is, apparently a circadian rhythm in your body is actually a little bit longer than 24 hours. So when you're going west and you're going with the sun and your days extend, you're sort of in the direction that your rhythm would like to go. Anyway, when you go east and your days get really short, you're really, really messing stuff up. So there's that. The other thing is just due to the flights, usually when we fly, we fly Emirates because you can go from Dubai to pretty much anywhere in Europe and you can go from Dubai to Brisbane just up the road here. And the way they do their schedule is normally when you leave Europe, you leave at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, your midday, early afternoon, something like that. We obviously went out of Prague this time and you fly into, into Dubai and you're in there at like midnight and then you're taking off at 3 a.m., which is just a terrible time to be awake. And then you fly like through the rest of that night, through that day, and then into the next night, it's about a 14 hour flight, and then you're landing at like 10 30, 11 p.m. And it's just, it's like two nights just kind of disappear. So, anyway, we got to the other end and we, yeah, and we felt like you'd expect us to feel. And we had about 24 hours and then we went away <laughs> again. We went away to where we got married, it was our first wedding anniversary. That was actually whilst we were in, in Oslo, we had our first wedding anniversary, but it was a celebration of it. So we had no time at home, went away straight away, came back, and then was it that day? Yes, it was that day. We had visitors arrive, and we still have visitors. So I've had absolutely no time to do much at all, which is why today's weekly update says we'll make this one up as we go. So we're going to figure it out as we go along. Shirley Dev is here. Come on, chat. Tap like. Oh. Not sure what that is. Uh, oh, no, but I see, I don't I don't chat on the text. I chat on the camera. And this is the way it works. I was listening to Darknet Diaries today, a podcast about stories from the dark web, and this episode one where Troy was in a being interviewed. Yes, so I did do a Darknet Diaries. It was years ago now as well. If you don't listen to Darknet Diaries, start, because it's awesome. All right, on to the, the one formal bit, and then I'm going to figure out the, what else we do as we go along. 
Sponsor this week is ePass by DTAC. ePass by DTAC, another company I have actually spent a bit of time with here on the Gold Coast. Real people, really lovely, based out of Germany. No ePass password protected, or no ePass protected password has ever been cracked and won't be found in any leaks. Give it a try. Millions of users use it. Apparently, we do have problems with passwords, like still to this day. People keep saying, like, when are we going to get rid of passwords? And a decade ago, people were like, yeah, yeah, like 10 years from now, as in now, they'll be gone. We've got more passwords now than we ever had before. And we'll get you, bet you, we'll have more in 10 years from now. Enterprise Password Analytics ePass is the only solution in the world to provide an insight on enterprise password security. This is a good product. Please go and check out ePass by DTAC. And a big thanks to them for being another sponsor uh, yet again. And particularly as we reach the very tail end uh, of the year, it's, it's nice to have sponsors like DTAC still there. On the uh, comments over here, surely, Dev, uh, yeah, I'm a little behind on them, <laughs> working through the back catalogue. I've been working through the catalogue of uh, Darknet Diaries, largely with the kids. Uh, the kids, when we're in the car, for example, when we drove away for our, our wedding anniversary, which we did with the kids, because they were a big part of it, uh, they're like, hey, can we listen to Darknet Diaries? Now, they are 11 and 14-ish, <laughs> so, so they're that sort of age, but it's just really, really cool to hear uh, from both our son and our daughter at their respective ages that they want to listen to Darknet Diaries. Good thing for the kids. Joel says, one of our favorites list. Absolutely. So uh, check that out. Now, what I thought we could do for basically having no plan, I, I find if I go back through my... Are we still saying Twitter or are we saying X? I feel like we're just going to be saying Twitter forever. And I still type in twitter.com. If I go back through the last week, I can figure out what was interesting because anything that was interesting, I put on the timeline anyway. Hmm. Now, I do know off the top of my head, the first thing I thought was interesting because it happened on the plane, which was only just after we zoomed out of Prague. Now, this was... Um, this was actually an ABC news piece. ABC here in Australia, we have an ABC as well. I know there's one in America. And this is something that we'd been working on for for many, many months, actually. Uh, an ABC journo, and in fact, the ABC journo who did the piece about data visualisation, I'll put this in the links later on, but I shared this quite extensively, it got a lot of traction, but there was a data visualisation story where they used the Have I Been Pwned API, allowed you to plug your email address in, and instead of just getting like text results like you do on the main website, you got like this mosaic which started to build up and show how all these pieces of your identity were, were leaked in different data breaches. So for me, I think the first data breach I was in was something like Dropbox. And it's like, you know, the first data breach you're in, there's a chronological thing, and it was Dropbox and it leaked your email address. And there's a little tile down here and your password and there's another tile here. And then there was LinkedIn, same thing. And then there's all these other things. And you see this big mosaic build up and you get this visual image of how much of your stuff has been leaked. Anyway, the journo that did that, Julian Fell, at the same time, he said, look, he wanted to write a bigger piece about, well, he's called, he's titled it here, A Strange Sign of the Times. Uh, he's just a dude on the web, but Troy Hunter's ended up playing an oddly central role in global cybersecurity. Now, there's a story very much about me and have I been pwned. And... I know how much work Julian put into this. He spent a lot of time talking to me, spending time here in my house, uh, interviewing Charlotte, interviewing Scott Helm, talking to a lot of other people as well. And 
it's, it's, it's always funny to sort of read stuff about yourself. It's, it's different when you like read a cybersecurity story uh, and have I been pwned, founder Troy Hunt made a comment about how our data is leaked everywhere or something very generic like that. This was much more personal. And a lot of this was around the FBI sending data, which they'd just done for Genesis Market at, at the time this was written. Uh, and they'd done in the past for for uh, other data breaches or other malware-related things. And of course, they later did for Quackbot uh, well and truly after the story was written as well. But it was just kind of curious to... It's almost like talking about yourself in the third person <laughs> to read this. There's a bunch of photos here from around the house. Uh, and I, I think Julian's sort of lamenting in here that, and it's it's him and and a, an academic that he interviewed somewhere as well, sort of going like, why is it, why is it up to one one person, you know, one guy on the Gold Coast, like literally here, this is like pwned HQ, <laughs> everything you see in frame here, why is it up to him to run this thing? As in, why isn't this done centrally somehow? Now, I'll come back to that because that's kind of the punchline of the whole story. I'm quite quite happy with how it ended, actually. Mm. Scott Helm is here, sharing the link. G'day, Scott. Thank you for that. That's handy. I know you've read this. Um, the ABC News in Australia is a very, very broadly read piece as well, so I had a lot of people contact me after this. A lot of people that don't live in, in our world who are like, oh, wow, like now I get a bit of a sense of what it is that you do. Uh, which was kind of cool. Um, one, one of the interesting interesting discussions we had along the way with Julian is he said, look, yeah, he's, he's a journalist. He's trying to be objective. He said, I'm, I'm having trouble finding bad stuff, <laughs> you know, like bad stuff about you. And I was initially I was like, why do, you, why do you have to find bad stuff? And I was like, well, you know, like this is the whole thing, right, to give a balanced opinion. It was quite funny because he he did manage to find something. <laughs> and I'm going to talk in generic terms here because I don't want to inflame something that probably doesn't need to be inflamed. But he found an article that someone had written that was, it's not that it was scathing, or I think even derogatory might be too much of a strong word, but it was negative. I'm pretty sure I've shown you the details this one, Scott. Negative. In a in a way that just seemed a little bit irrational. As soon as I saw it, I was like, ah, I know exactly what that is. And it was someone, I think the correct term is trying to shake me down for money. Someone who was trying to claim some sort of intellectual property rights over the ability to search for yourself in, in data breaches many, many, many years after having been part of been running. <clears throat> and in what was perhaps... A, uh, a poor choice of medium on his behalf, the shaking down or the attempted shaking down um, happened in largely written form. <laughs> so, and I saved it. I, like every time there's something like this, it's like this, this could be one of these things. Uh, it's either that sort of thing or when I get bad abuse, this could be one of these things that escalates. So I'm just going to start screen grabbing this and saving it. And I still had all that. I literally have an abuse folder. So I'd saved that, uh, and I, sh I showed this to Julian, and where it ends is I sort of said to the guy, someone I'd spoken to before, I was like, look, let's just get on the phone and have a chat. Uh, and we had a chat, and as soon as I finished the call, I narrated my notes. So I have an audio file, I think it ended up being about 10 minutes long, about what this person said 
and what I'd said in response. And I think I gave Julian that as well. I can't recall. It was a while ago. And what it boiled down to is if you're going to try and do this, then it's going to be a very public thing. Uh, are you really sure that you want it to be a really public thing? And then it kind of went away. And that was it. And after he saw that, he was like, well, yeah, I can't really, can't really put that in there. That, that would be a weird one. Um, G'day, Mike. Mike is here. Mike from the UK. The one thing they did put in here, and it's, I'm going to try and find the term here. So there's a bit in here. There's a photo of, of me in Congress in 2017. Uh, and, and a lot of this, I guess, is related to working with governments and, and you're finding myself in this bizarre life. And Julian said, a number of governmental cybersecurity bodies confirm they use the service, but a week after contacting these secretive agencies, none of that secretive, a surprisingly chatty officer representing one of them called back. The officer confirmed they use Have I Been Pwned as part of a suite of tools, but painted a slightly less flattering image of Troy Hunt than I'd heard elsewhere, claiming he'd over-egged the nature of their relationship. On hearing this, Troy was adamant. He'd ensured that each and every one of these agencies signed off on the exact word in the announcements before he published them. Now this... This is the one red card in a talk with 300 green cards. <laughs> like, this is the way Charlotte put it. Uh, so, so the analogy there, for those who are not familiar, some conferences, uh, and NDC is, is an example of this, a conference she used to organise, the one Scott knows really well, uh, that he and I spent many, many years at. After you do a talk and everyone goes right through the door, you, you've got like a box of green cards, a box of yellow cards, a box of red cards, and everyone picks up the card, you know, like good, medium, bad sort of thing, and puts it in a box, and you get a count later on, so you get a sense of how your talk was. And, of course, everyone wants to get green cards. And very often, and I know it's very similar for Scott, um... <laughs> He's questioning they do red cards. You you wanna you wanna get to a hundred percent green. Now I know we've both gotten to hundred percent green before and we've both had the odd yellow or the odd red. And you can have a talk where you've got three hundred green cards and one red one, and you're like, I've obviously just done an amazing talk because I've got three hundred green cards. What the is this like what on earth is this? And this is what bugged me a little bit about this. And um and it, it, it shouldn't, but I think when you're constantly striving to make things perfect and you hear something that's just a, just a little bit off, it just gets under your skin. So when Julian mentioned this to me, I was like, I, I'm really struggling to think of what that is. And, and as, I, as I said to him, every one of the, I think it was 36 governments there-ish, using Have I Been Pwned at the moment to do free domain searches for all their government TLDs. And I said, look, Every one of those announcements, I send to them, and it's like, this is the draft, this is what I'm going to write, is this correct? Um, not so much in terms of the, the over-egging it, because it's literally like, these governments now have access to career their domains. But have I got things like the acronyms of your departments right? Are you a CSIRT, or is it a CERT, or is it uh, the Dutch NHCTU, which I always get the acronym wrong for? Now, have I got this right? So they all see it, and they all approve it. And I literally say to them, let me know, are you okay with this? Once you're okay with this, I'll publish it for transparency, and I'll give you access. So I have no idea what this is in relationship uh, relation to. And I do find it, paradoxical, as Scott and I were chatting the other day, that in this image where it's like me sitting in Congress testifying 
in 2017 and then all the other stuff about the FBI sending data that probably the least significant thing is just giving a government access to do domain searches, that that's the overegging. So anyway, I spent way too much time on that than it deserves. It goes on and on and on. Uh, I like this quote. It's just one guy facilitating this. It's a critical global risk. And I think the point there, and this is, I think, Scott's comments and Charlotte's comments to Julian as well, were that there's a, a single point of failure, <laughs> which is me, which I'm working. We'll talk more about that in the future. Anyway, it goes on. Um, it's a little, <laughs> a little bit in here about death threats. I don't get a lot of them. And I honestly don't take them too seriously, but I can see how it would really upset some people. Some of the abuse, some of the people trying to track me down uh, where I live, and it's like, it's it's not that much of a secret. You know, you figure that out very easily. Anyway, the, um, the punchline here I was talking about, which I really like, was, uh, this is Professor Andrews, so the, the academic that he interviewed, uh, and she says, we struggle with all forms of global shared regulatory architecture, Professor Andrews says. They're just incredibly difficult to create. Totally agree. Incidentally, I don't think I've ever met this person before, and I think her comments are very reasonable too. She says, Troy is outside of government and corporate status, which gives him an agility to solve a really complex global problem. Now, here's the punchline. So Julian says, when asked if his database of stolen data could be eventually handed over to the government for safekeeping, Troy fires back, which government? Now, I kind of feel it's funnier when I have that discussion in person with people but very often this is what comes up where someone says if this is becoming like a critical part of internet infrastructure shouldn't it be run by the government and when people say the government usually in my experience they mean the american one right so they want it to be a government that they have an affinity to because they feel that they will be i don't know, most aligned with their values or something but you know what if it was if it was the Chinese government, yes, you're right. It should be run by the government. All right, let's go to Beijing and set this stuff up. It's like, and then people kind of go, no, 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 I don't like that one. All right, what about a Turkish government? Would you be happy with that? Uh, I don't know. I read some stuff in the news. You know, like it's, 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 it should be, in my view, independent of a government. And that's not necessarily to say that it should just be me that's always doing it. Uh, Charles often used the example of CERN. So we went to CERN in 2019 and we saw where Tim Berners-Lee created the web and we saw some of the, I guess, the shared infrastructure that is used by many, many different nations around the world. Um, and, I, and I think the the sentiment that, that Charlotte has when she says that is that that's viewed to be sort of autonomous of any one government influence. Who knows? Uh, governments are stretched to the limit anyway, so... Point is, is that I can't see a time where it'd ever be like the Australian government uh, or the US government, and I, and I just don't know that that's the best thing anyway, because many people have a very healthy suspicion <laughs> of the government, so I don't know that they want to see the government sitting on all the data either. Mike says, I can't believe it's six years since you wore those socks in Congress. I know, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, wow, a lot has happened in six years. Crikey. Scott says, what are the critical internet infrastructures run by the government because it's important? Mm. I guess it depends. Again, it depends on which government too. 
Mike says, nothing much in the UK, Scott, these days because we flogged all off because, of course, so much stuff has been privatised. Anyway, Timok1977 says, Troy, do you have a favourite era of the internet? For me, it would have been uh, <laughs> pre-Google, <laughs> mid-90s. That's a good question. I like getting questions I haven't had before because I get so many questions from interviews and things like that where it's it's like, what is the future of passwords? Or, you know, like really predictable stuff. So I first started using the internet in 95. It was the year I started university, dating myself. And that was the first time I saw the internet. And that was um, that was an exciting time, I agree. And I, I think it was, it was exciting because everything that everyone was doing really hadn't been done before. And I still have my HTML for Dummies book sitting up on the shelf there. And that was the way I learned the internet because I couldn't do any courses at university. And there was bits and pieces of information online. So I, I had to sit down and, and read the book. Uh, and when we were creating anything from ordering systems through to horse racing systems, <laughs> read my book, it's a long story. Uh, it was all sort of the first, it was either the first time or it had only very recently been done by other people. So we were winging a lot of it. So I do agree that was very, very exciting. Uh, but, you know, then again, I think the late 90s with dot-com boom, that was also very exciting. And then in the noughties as we get social media exploding, that was very exciting. Um, I think getting towards Internet of Things is very exciting. Uh, I, I don't think there's – it's not like we've – you can't sort of pick a decade where you go, oh, not much happened there. You know, that was that was a boring decade. I think it's still very exciting now, particularly cloud era, very exciting. I mean, the amount of stuff we can do now because of cloud. So – I think there's been lots of exciting eras. But I agree with you. Mid-9 is pretty awesome. Yeah. E-commerce 2010, says Scott. Mm. JF, speaking of age, what was your first computer, Troy? My Wikipedia page has a guess <clears throat> at my age. It's guessed the year. And they say it's either, I think they say it's 76 or 77. And it's one of those. And I have a birthday every year. <laughs> so so to, to date myself on that, I think the first computer, which of course was always your mum and dad's computer, the first computer would have been in probably about 88, so I would have been 13 or 14, depending on which which number is right. And uh, I can't remember what it was. It was a PC-compatible or IBM-compatible, as we call it, um, something basic. <laughs> I remember the first time when I moved back to Australia to come to university, we were living in, in Singapore at the time, uh, so this was 95 when I came back to the internet. I had some Pentium spec machine, but it was always... I felt a little bit later. <clears throat> some of my friends had computers before me. And true story, I hated computers. What I hated about them is I remember when I was at primary school, so this probably would have been, oh, I don't know, like 86, something like this. All I want to do is go outside and kick the football and my mates were like increasingly spending time indoors at the school in their lunch break on the computer. I was like, well, let's go outside, man. Like, let's, let's do something interesting. And since then, I've had a lot of computers. I need to get another one, actually. This Lenovo is on its last legs. When I say on its last legs, I still have, in fact, this Lenovo here with all the stickers. <laughs> this has been around the world so many times and so much of... The data breaches I've loaded and there have been poem bits I've written and the travel has been done with that laptop. 
Lamborghini. Uh, <laughs> the main reason I want to uh, I want to upgrade that. Uh, the, the battery is starting to go south. It's not lasting too long. Could get a new battery, but uh, it will not run Windows 11 because it's not supporting TPM2. So it's sort of stuck there in that point in time of Windows. And I don't really use, it's not that I need the new version, but all signs are starting to point towards a new laptop. So that'll be soon. But that's my latest, one of my latest machines. I guess the one that I'm looking at here is probably the latest, which is a uh, Lenovo 720p, is it? P720, there you go, desktop. Everyone's starting to reminisce about the old things. Scott started out with an Athlon XP3200. Someone had an Amstrad <laughs> CPC. But I mean, to the point earlier from TMOC 1977, like these are exciting times, right? Where all these machines were very, very new and they were very, very basic, but they were so exciting because they were things that we really hadn't seen before. Uh, Scott had 512K broadband. Wow, that was, that was, what did I have, like 16 point, what was it? <laughs> it was like a 16 point something or other. Now, because we're actually getting gigabit here, and I've had gigabit for probably the last last year, like I came home from travels, powered this machine up, and all of the stuff that I dropped into Dropbox and Mega is just like gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes were like synced in minutes, which is, I still find it amazing. Um, there's a lot of comments here. Uh, Surely did. When you could play tennis, squash, or solo on, didn't have a gun to do the skeet shooting uh, games console. <laughs> yeah. Remember the duck hunting game? That must have been on the... It must have been on the Nintendo. I can't recall. Tim Ox asking, Troy, do you have a favourite book or movie that's really influenced you? Maybe something like Fight Club or Trainspotting. Mm, I can really see you living a Tyler Durden type of secret double life. Uh, well... I think Scott would know me better than probably just about anyone. So, Scott, if you, if you think I have a secret double life. Yes, Ness, yes, thank you. Uh, speak up now. Uh, for, for books, I've just found myself over recent years rarely ever reading books because I just absorb so much stuff online. And maybe it's just because of, like, modern-day short attention span or there's just so much to absorb, I just have to try and pick the little bits and pieces. I think book-wise, I really like Outliers from Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and, and what's fascinating about Outliers, let me actually get the right title here because there's a subtitle, um, Malcolm Gladwell. So he's the one who coined the term, uh, the tipping phrase. So he's got a book called The Tipping Phrase as well. So Outliers is uh, the story of success is the byline here. And it, it's just really interesting because he looks at what makes people successful, you know, like really, really successful people like Bill Gates level or, uh, you know, NBA players or, or things like this. And the, the big takeaway that I always remember from this is he said it was always a combination of hard work and good luck. There's a lot of people out there that work super, super hard, but then they don't make a lot of money or they don't find the success that they want. Uh, and then, of course, there's people who do get lucky, like people who play the lottery, for example, a very, very small number of people who pay the lottery who then tend to end up losing a lot of it. And the point was that, let's say in the Gates situation, the guy is obviously very, very smart, but he also had opportunity. And he had luck by being born to a mother who had access to a university with computers and being able to, to learn these things. Uh, and I think another way of thinking about that, you know, sometimes you hear that term, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Uh, but I think it's very much about making opportunities so that when luck does come your way, it works out well. And, and, and for me, in fact, I read this well before uh, I left corporate life. 
but I got lucky around things like getting a redundancy from Pfizer. Um, I, I was stuck in a job that I, I hated and were it not for the fact that they came along and said, you can leave and here's two years of pay <laughs> to go and do whatever you want. I would have found it much harder to go and do what I do now. Uh, so I got very lucky, but I'd put in a lot of hard work so that when that luck came along, anyway, that's what I like about that outliers. Um, movie wise, I think it's probably more entertaining stuff. I love Tarantino. So most of the Tarantino stuff I really enjoy. And then I really like things like the, uh, the Guy Ritchie sort of, um, snatch lock, stock and two smoking barrels things. I just find them really entertaining. Uh, now moving on. JF says, I wish someone would pay me well to go away. <laughs> I feel there's a lot more story to be told about that period of my life yet. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe they'll turn that into a talk somewhere and try and get all green cards. But, uh, oh, man, I hated that job. I By the end of it, this was after 14 years, I just, it was, it was soul-sucking. And I went to leave it, actually. In fact, and I, I've put some of this in my book, but I went to leave it in... Must have been about April, May, twenty fourteen, because I was, I had a new boss that I, I just really disliked, and after an incident, I'd gone. I literally went to HR and I was like, "Give me all the forms. That's it. I'm done." And they gave me all the paperwork, and I went home and I'm reading it, and it's like, "Geez, if uh, if they ask me to leave, <laughs> it's going to work out. If I leave now, they basically pay you out for the the holiday leave that you have not taken." If they ask me to leave, because I've been there a long time, they got to give me a lot of money. Ah, I'll sleep on it a little bit. And time went by, and my boss really didn't talk to me anymore anyway, <laughs> which, which was perfect, I think, for both of us. And then it was, uh, it was the first week of 2015 that they're like, we're making four people redundant. And, uh, and all of us were very happy about that because we got well looked after. I don't think I've ever met someone who's had a redundancy and not had it work out well. Even even people that some of us here know well that have recently had redundancies, because we know there's been a lot of redundancies in tech, um, have been paid out well and then often gotten good pay rises to go and do other things as well. All right. So working through that Twitter timeline, there's been a bunch of other stuff. And in fact, I think we're going to have, uh, have more content than time because I just realized <laughs> half an hour has disappeared talking about the things to date. When I came home, so we got home. This was weird. I didn't tell you about this either, Scott. I don't think I did. So we landed uh, We landed about 10.30 at night, which is just a, that's a shitty time to land. And landed Australia. For those of you who've traveled overseas before, you know, you only have to go through customs, get your bag, go through quarantine, then you're out. Because Australia is a little bit, well, because countries are a little bit weird, when we fly into Australia, Charlotte, who's still on a Norwegian passport until she gets her citizenship, and then she can have dual citizenship and two passports. Uh, at the moment, she's a permanent resident. She has to go through the manual counter and hand her passport over to an officer who looks at it. Meanwhile, I can just go through the fast track gate. The kids and I can go through the fast track gate. So when we came back from Thailand uh, in July, it's like, well, we're not going to split the family up because we're all together anyway, so we'll go to the queue. And we waited for like an hour in the queue, and then the officer behind the desk just took forever going through everything. Uh, this time we went straight to the front of the queue. There was no other planes that landed right before us or anything like that. Straight through there, got the bags really fast, straight through quarantine. We were in the car within about half an hour landing, which was awesome. 11 o'clock. 
So we're driving home and we're, we're about 10 minutes into the journey and there's a bridge they call the Gateway Bridge. It's a very large bridge, very pointed like this. And we get towards the top. So this is like a quarter past 11 at night on Saturday night. And all these cars are stopped. And there's some dickhead right on the top doing burnouts, like right in the middle of a six-lane bridge, right at the top, just doing burnouts. <laughs> and, and everyone has to stop and wait for this idiot to do burnouts. And as we get closer, we can see it's got no plates on it. I think the whole rear bumper was missing. And it's got a Domino's pizza sign on the top. So it looks like someone has stolen some poor bastard's Domino pizza delivery car to go to the top of the bridge and do burnouts. And we got to wait while we're jet-lagged. So I'm sort of waiting and waiting, and I'm looking again. If he gets far enough over to this side of the six-lane highway, I think we can get, get through here before he starts to... Anyway, it worked out fine. Uh, got home, and you know by now it's really Sunday, and then the kids are coming back Sunday afternoon, and we're going away Monday. And for some reason, I decided that was a good time to take an update to the ubiquity os <laughs> so i'm looking through my tweet thread here we're just about to go away on monday morning and my ubiquity doesn't work anymore and more specifically what's not working is none of the access points are broadcasting anymore so we don't, don't see a network this is just after taking the the mainstream release not this is not a my words are departing is it wasn't an alpha or a beta or anything like this uh and long story short, it looks like for some reason there's an update that made the SFP cable that I had between the Dream Machine Pro and the Switch no longer work. <clears throat> and it, it took quite some time to actually work this out. And the only way I eventually worked it out is to plug directly into the Dream Machine itself via Ethernet from the laptop, which wasn't picking up an IP to begin with, rebooted it, finally picked up an IP, managed to go through there. And then I'm looking at all the ports on the Dream Machine and both the SFP ones are gray because there's no connection. So I blew a couple of hours whilst we're trying to get ready to go away. Just trying to figure out that I need to put an Ethernet cable <laughs> between the two. So <clears throat> I see in my very near future me ordering a genuine Ubiquiti SFP cable and replacing the one that's currently hanging out. So that was kind of annoying. <clears throat> Scott says, like a scene from the Fast and Furious. And, you know, well... It's like a YouTube video. Like, we've all seen these on YouTube. You and I certainly have them on YouTube because that's the circles that we, we sometimes travel in. But there was also, it looked, as far as I could tell, through the tie smoke haze, someone hanging out the window with a camera phone filming the whole thing as well because this is what these idiots do these days. They film it all, they put it on social media, and then the cops turn up and they're like, yep, yep, it's the same tattoo. You had a face mask on, but you had that great big unique tattoo <laughs> uncovered and facing everyone else. So anyway, so finally managed to restore that. Clicking through the tweets, we went away. Had a very, very nice trip to somewhere you've been, Scott, where we had the, the wedding the other day. Um, girls went to spa. Ari and I went mountain biking. That was good. He had two good falls. <laughs> Only surface damage, but he does look, he looks like he was a bit of a ragdoll now, which was good fun. Um, hmm. Scott says, Spice's photos looked awesome. Yeah, that was lovely. It was, it was just just as you know. It was very, very nice. Now, on the InfoSec side, there was a bit of a thread that happened earlier this week where I saw lots of data breach disclosure notices about a third party. 
Now, I tweeted a bunch of these in succession. So one of them here was um, <clears throat> someone here is talking about a, a UK charity for the homeless called Shelter. And the disclosure message says, I wanted to write to you as a precaution to let you know that, that a company Shelter worked with to deliver and manage our supporter surveys has made us aware of a data security incident. And then it goes on about, you know, no bank account details, so on and so forth. But they use this term, a third party that we work with. No, well, let's say a company that they work with. And there's another one here. So this is a, this is like an animal welfare one. Uh, dear Chris, you may remember us reaching out a few months ago to ask for your, uh, to be a part of a supporter survey focused on helping us understand how we can better support you. We used an external partner to send the survey and help us interpret the results. And again, it's the same thing, like an external partner, a third party. And if I keep flicking through my tweet thread here, um, we see eventually we figure out who this third party is. Uh, is this another one? Hi, Ashley. It's Go Compare here. We're sorry to interrupt your day, but we have discovered that there has been an attempt by an unknown entity to access the Go Compare website and in turn's customer data. No, this is a first party, <laughs> not a third party. Anyway, somewhere in here, I thought I shared it. Maybe I didn't. But somewhere in here, it turns out that it is, oh, what's the name of the company? Kokomo or Kokodo or something like that. But the, the party eventually gets named by someone. The point I'm making here is I really don't like this pattern of saying that a third party got compromised but not naming the third party. Because you, you, like you ever think about it, the number of times you get surveys, geez, when we came home from this trip, the number of places we stayed at, everyone was like, please complete our survey. Which, of course, we don't because of reasons like this. But the number of times we, we fill things out and we provide our information uh, auspiciously to the first party that you have the relationship to, but then they delegate to another party, and your data flows to all these other places, and you agree to it because you read the terms and conditions and it says I can do that. But your data ends up in places that you do not recognize is probably the, the kindest way I can put that. Now, if, if that happens and there is a data breach, why are they not being named? I mean, genuinely, why not name the third party? Is someone worried about the litigiousness of the third party? Let's say it's the first party is worried that the, it's always the second party. Let's put it in context. Is the lost dog's home worried that if they name this party, there'll be some sort of recourse. That seems odd, particularly when one of the tenets that we're aiming for with disclosure notices is transparency. And there is nothing less transparent, in my view, than saying, hey, this third party over here got breached, but we can't tell you who it was. That just, that really, really doesn't sit well with me. But it seems to be something that they're doing. Now, that's not just this incident. I've seen this happen many, many times in the past as well. I have a blog post in draft. I'm going to embed a bunch of these tweets and sort of make the whole point about uh, just being unhappy with that. Yeah. I'm sure somewhere in here I end up naming them. When I say I named them, it was something somewhere that was published. Um, another one here. I don't think this is a third-party tax bit. We're writing to inform you that we've detected suspicious activity related to a third party, <laughs> a third party web application that may have impacted some data, including the email and API keys associated with some TaxBit consumer accounts. So again, a third party, but I feel it's a different third party. 
to the survey one. The Go Compare one was a first party. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and someone else has shared this, another third party. What's this one? Aon, South Africa. Recently became aware of a cybersecurity incident related to a third party vendor application, Move It. So they've named it. I mean, Move It has been so much in the press anyway. Move It that Aon and many other organizations around the world use to handle data transfers. Okay, so that at least they have actually named that one. So that's um, <laughs> that's something. Uh, all right, last thing I can see on here since Scott's here as well, and I retweeted this 13 hours ago. Uh, today's your last chance to grab NDC conferences, early bird tickets for London in January. Now, uh, I'm pretty sure Scott is going to be there in London. I won't be in London. I'll be back in Australia. I will be there at NDC Security in Oslo in January. Uh, and I will also be at NDC Oslo in June. We're, we're playing a long way ahead now. And I'm sure you'll catch Scott there as well. So last chance to get those early bird tickets. Brennan says, uh, just my luck, this thing is going to miss today's show. Narrowly made it. Happy weekend, Troy. Thanks, mate. Um, yes, you you've, you have narrowly caught it. <laughs> but I am going to wrap it up. We've been going for about 41 minutes now. There is awesome sunshine outside. We've got guests. I want to go and enjoy that. And I think we've got to go do something in the water. And uh, I might use a little bit more sunscreen today than what I did yesterday. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll come to you next week. Hopefully it'll be a much more normal show then. I will have had most of a week to actually have a, a normal, productive week. Catch you then.